and welcome to Conversations with Q. I'm Lucia, Q's Marketing Director, and every week I have a chat with a marketer or entrepreneur from the tech space to get to the bottom of a bunch of things that are probably fascinating you, inspiring you, or downright puzzling you right now. Think how to make decisions about your career, what it actually takes to build a successful startup, marketing tactics you should and shouldn't bother with, the dark side of hustle culture, equality in the tech industry, and more. This week, we have not one, but two very special guests, and we're switching up the usual format. Now, many of you may already be aware that 2018 was an incredibly difficult year for Q, which really tested us as a company. Thankfully, we made it out the other side, and yesterday launched an updated version of the Q app on Product Hunt, which we're really excited for our customers to use. But really, the past year has been proof that the startup journey is never an easy one. For us, it probably came as a harder pill to swallow, since we'd pretty much breezed through our first couple of years. So for this episode, I recorded a conversation I had with Q's co-founders, Daniel Kemp and Matthew Spur, where we reflected on everything that had happened. We recorded this when Matt came to work with me at my co-working space, with Dan on video call, so there's a bit of background noise, but I hope you'll bear with us because there are some really important lessons to be learned here for startups. I'm sure many of you who are listening have found yourself in similarly stressful situations at some point in your lives. And the reason we're sharing our experiences is so that we can start a dialogue with fellow startup founders and employees. Have you ever experienced a failure, rocky patch or pivot at your startup? What did you learn from it? If you'd like to share your own stories and thoughts with us, please call into our Anchor FM station or tweet us at Q underscore co. We'd love to hear from you. Let's jump straight into my chat with Matt and Dan. Dan, you wrote a Medium post recently all about the changes we've been making at Q. So I thought it'd be nice just to talk to um, both you and Matt about those in a bit more detail because quite a lot's happened in the past year. So can you just walk us through what happened in 2018 at Q? Well, it started off really positively. We had a pretty good November, December 2017. Um, We've grown quite a lot, probably six to nine thousand in MRR and then we we had really huge plans for 2018 with our own schedule um, it was such a logical decision we knew that every single user of ours used the schedule so we thought why not do it all in-house so now we don't have to rely on you know buffer API and the HubSpot API um, but as soon as we were about to launch it's very strange it's automation policy, which meant we have to make huge changes to how our app would work. And I think because of those changes, it just really affected how people use our app. Mm. Um, and um, obviously the rest is, is history with how, how it went down. I think like what it did, like the change in like Twitter automation policy basically sort of took away everything that people used to really love about Q. <laughs> um, it was like the worst thing that could have happened. Um, but like people used to enjoy the whole set it and forget it autopilot nature of Q. The fact that they could sign up, get their content suggestions, they would get sent straight to the social media profiles they wanted to post from. 
and you know they could just focus on doing you know the whole engagement side of things and having conversations with people that's the beauty of Q but what this did was it meant that people would have to log in every single day to Q they were we, we had to build a scheduler like around manual posts so people would have to approve everything rewrite it and it just made it a lot more laborious and it put like way more like friction in so like generally like as a SaaS company you want to try and reduce the amount of friction that a user experiences when they're actually like using your app and this was like the total opposite of that so like as much as we tried to be responsible and, and you know do the best thing by our users like it it just was not a preferable situation to be in and it put us under a lot of pressure yeah it was such bad timing as well just literally the worst timing with twitter's automation policy so did from yeah. that did you sort of see an immediate dip in like the financial health of the company or was it sort of more of a gradual thing um I'd, I'd say like to begin with it was it was quite gradual um, like if anything we actually still managed to grow for a few months um, immediately after that I think it was more around uh, July and August so we're talking about this Twitter automation policy change being uh, in February and us having to really pivot um, around March and it sort of started to decline for us around August and we had like consecutive sort of um, losing months in terms of MRR which is not something we've ever had before mm. like we'd not had two we'd not had like two consecutive bad months ever mm. uh, and suddenly we were looking down the barrel of like three or four um, so it was it was unknown territory for us <laughs> that's for sure and how did you yeah. respond to that like did you manage to kind of stay quite positive and optimistic um, in all honesty, uh, probably not. Um, no, uh, we were actually in a really dark place. Well, I mean, I, I felt like that was the case. I don't know about you, Dan, but like, we speak every day, and like, although we were trying to always do our best with what we had in that moment, it just felt like it was like it, being in a boxing match where every time you got knocked down, you got back up and got hit in the face. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was so hard. Um, there was around the corner. A change or restriction. I mean, the Facebook and Twitter APIs made it really hard for us to do anything. Um, it, it was just a really, really bad year. Yeah, and obviously you guys run the company as co-founders, but we also have a board of investors and you guys have meetings with them. So how did they respond to those changes and like, did they sort of give you ideas of what you should do with the company? I mean, at the beginning, that you know, when we told them about the scheduler idea, and obviously that was part of the original idea when we first met with them, um, they were, you know, all for it. Everyone thought it was a good idea. I don't think I ever talked to anyone that didn't think it was a good idea at the time. Um, and they were pushing for us to grow faster, you know, like any investor would. Um, so, you know, they actually give us an extra piece of investment to to put all into paid advertising. And that was to hopefully then build scalable growth. You know, and it did it did actually bring in some users. But the problem with the problem that happened is because the scheduler was so bad now because of all the you know, restrictions we had to put in place, we were basically losing as many or slightly more 
people than we would bringing in new people. So we were just basically staying break even all the way through, all the way through the year. And then the last four months of the year, it's just it's been awful because we haven't been spending that money. Yeah, it, we found ourselves just essentially battling against a tide of churn. So, yeah. <laughs> like, churn is like the worst enemy in like in a SaaS company. You just you, you need to keep it as low as possible. And uh, and this was something that like we just we were finding really hard to minimise and mitigate. <laughs> so, how do you kind of negotiate that relationship as a founder of a company with your investors if you're in a situation where? they're sort of giving you ideas telling you what to do do you ever when you disagree with them i imagine that can be quite tricky sometimes i mean uh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm sure they would like you to disagree with them sometimes because yeah. and, and it's the same for me and matt as co-founders we would have conversations debates all the time and ultimately make the right decision what we believe is to be the right decision after agreeing and disagreeing with each other over and over again I mean, I think that's the best way to actually come to a, the best decision you think at that time is the best decision. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think they, they, I think they appreciate our honesty. We're always open and transparent with the monthly shared reports, um, and I, I think they believe in what we can do. Yeah, it's just that uh, this 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 last year has just been. I, you know, I think like it, it would be like incorrect to say that there were no disagreements uh, along the way but at the same time whatever we discussed we ended up agreeing and like yeah. you you don't come to you don't come to make a decision without that consensus yeah. and that is like the benefit of having a board of directors because you need to have a majority of people agreeing based on you know detailed discussion that this is the right course of action to pursue and so like you know you may disagree with what someone says initially but if the majority of these experienced people that are invested in your company come to the conclusion that this is the right thing to do, then you just have to get behind it and do it. So, like, you know, you can't always have everything the way you want it. But I would say that at every stage last year, we thought we were doing the right thing. And it just, you know, it, it was just very difficult. And there was so much adversity, uh, which I think Dan's going to write about or you may have already written about it, depending on when this blog gets, this podcast gets published, um, about like all the different things that we sort of ran into um, throughout the year, because it wasn't just Twitter's automation policy forcing us to make people manually prove content suggestions. It was all sorts of things, um, and I think like the investors like started to see that when we reflected it very like honestly in our reports. So they know that we're we've had a really difficult year um you know we've not we've not made any sort of bones about it and we've been very transparent with that so they're behind our ideas now and yeah we've just got to do our best so going back to that point when you decided to create your own social media scheduler because obviously before q was integrated with buffer and hubs i think that's been quite an interesting learning experience for us because in sort of startup culture you hear a lot about being competitive and aggressive and if you look at like massive companies like uber in their, their market they've always got other companies coming up and going after them so i think we're kind of fed that idea that it's good to be super competitive and aggressive but looking back on your decision to build the scheduler now like what would you what have you learned from that um, I, 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 I think we just couldn't compete 
Yeah. And maybe the size we are, you know, at the time we only had one developer, um, we could just come compete. We can compete not only because of the one developer, we can integrate with Instagram um, because of their, their whole API was closed and still is to this day. Um, we have restrictions in place and so we just couldn't compete. We were trying our best to provide a really good scheduler for people. And I believe we did build a good scheduler. Because I actually, I love the look of it now. I know it's gone now, but um, I, I love the look of it. It worked for us, but we, we just couldn't be, compete because of so many restrictions in place. And obviously hindsight is so easy to, to look at. I mean, at the time, we should have probably shelved the idea once we heard about Twitter's new policy. That's when we should have made that change. But yeah, you, know, you, you try to push forward with these things because that's your plan. Yeah. And I guess sometimes you've got to give ideas a chance to get off the ground. You can't always expect instant success. So, yeah, it must be quite hard to know. So what was the catalyst for turning the scheduler off? Oh, um, I, I, I think it was, I, I think, I mean, we were having, like, discussions about, uh, like, this at the beginning of December. And, like, we would basically just had, like, it was almost like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, <laughs> uh, Buffer had um, this error back in August? September. September? Uh, September. Which basically, like, blocked a lot of our users from being able to receive the content suggestions. And, you know, it, it, things were, were already not going very well. <laughs> uh, and then our scheduler ran into this um, sort of roadblock as well. Uh, and we just thought, right you know we've had four losing months something has to change let's look at like what we used to do well let's look at like when we were at our most successful and like all of the all of the sort of road signs pointed towards just returning to our roots and doing what basically got Q put Q on the map which was um, providing quality content suggestions and that alone and just being you know focusing on our USB uh, and being all about that so I think we yeah, both we both sort of like, agreed. I remember we uh, it was just before we met up in Tavistock, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Christmas, and we came up with an A and a B option, and uh, we both sort of voted on those options, like in terms of our percentages, where we were in terms of each one. Yeah. I think at the time I was actually forty sixty on keeping where we were going, like keeping the schedule and trying to push it forward. Yeah. And, you're more towards B, which is obviously the new, the new direction now. I said I was 85% towards B. Yeah, yeah. So that, we, met, we met on that day uh, because we were excited about you know, potentially the B option. And after we met, after about an hour, I think, into the conversation, we basically planned the entire new queue. And then two days later, we had the entire designs ready to go. And then 15 days later, we had the app ready thanks to Peter and Nathan's ridiculously crazy development so that was a really crazy couple of weeks and it was really hard too because like we we just uh, hired two new developers who had put a lot of work into trying to stabilize the app that we had in 2018 um, and we here we were um, literally only sort of a month and a half two months after they joined us talking about scrapping everything that they'd put it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that they'd put into queue since they joined um, 
but literally over the course of a full English breakfast, we had um, come up with the entire plan for 2019 um, and, and agreed on it, like together, like fully agreed, there was no doubt. And as Dan says, like, you know, literally three weeks later, pretty much, we've actually got the, the launched version of, of Q. 4.0 whatever whatever version yeah. we're on now <laughs> I think we've always kind of worked like that as a company things do happen really quickly once decision is made yeah but you just touched on how you guys have just hired Nathan and Peter working on the development and that was something I was going to ask you was like how do you handle communicating with your employees when the company is going through these difficult periods and like such big changes because um, obviously you've kind of got to keep everyone, make sure everyone still has faith in the company and what we're doing and that they trust you guys. Yeah, I mean, like, one of the main things that we do as a constant is every single month we send a shareholder report. And in that shareholder report, we it's not just like a, you know, a dashboard of loads of figures. It's actually broken down into the great, the good, the bad, and the yeah. ugly. So it forces us every single month to show all sides of it, whether it's attractive or not. Yeah. Uh, and this hopefully gives everyone this decent sort of um, oversight into you know what's what's going on behind the scenes in the company and how that might affect them. But equally, on a day-to-day basis, because we're still a small team, as you know, like we get to talk about this a lot in Slack. So we don't hide anything. We're just sort of dealing with it out in the open. So. I, I, I mean, what did you think, you know, when we went through this, did you feel like, you know, we were sort of, you, you felt in the loop on what was happening and, you yeah. know, were you down, did you feel like a bit sort of like, oh no, we're, we're sinking or what, what? I don't know, I, th- I think it kind of, every decision that's been made has made sense and it's like when you guys said we were turning off the schedule, I was like, well, yeah, I think we all kind of had this feeling like it had to happen. Mm. But I do think, you know, obviously we talk a lot in Slack, but the shareholder reports are really good to receive each month because it does mean that you're... Um, constantly in the loop and there's no nasty surprises because I think I've encountered entrepreneurs before who do sort of like to keep up a really like positive front for employees and then then it comes as a real shock to them when something goes wrong and I don't think you should be like that because also you never know if you're if you've got a really big problem one of your employees could come up with a solution to it as well so I mean I I don't know if you've seen the fire festival documentary on Netflix (laughs) But um, this guy is the master, Billy, the CEO, is the master of keeping up a, a false positive yeah. front when everything has just literally gone to SH1T. <laughs> and uh, it's pretty amusing. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone that wants to watch it. But if you're interested in marketing or advertising uh, and drama, then check out Fire Festival documentary on Netflix and Hulu. It's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I, th- I think you guys are really good at kind of making people's opinions feel valued as well because just the fact that you always ask everyone what they think means that you know people feel respected so and like they're contributing something to the company yeah absolutely everyone to believe in the mission yeah and i think we're getting to a point where people weren't believing anymore because of the and all the issues yeah and i think um you know, although Peter and Nathan did such a good job at improving the schedule, I don't believe that they really enjoyed working on it. Mm. Um, and I know that now because over the last three weeks they've been creating that new app and they've been so involved with it. And you can just tell by the joy in their face and how they speak that they love the new app and our new mission going forward, I think. 
we can't stop them from working. I mean, like Dan and I do not advocate like any of our employees working like uh, ridiculous hours or overtime. No. Like we would never like dare do that. But like they are unstoppable. Like I I can't keep up with them. It's like eleven o'clock at night, and they're they're working away whether it's Saturday or Sunday and. Uh, they, you know, as soon as they put their kids to bed, they're they're back on their laptops working on the app because they they get a real kick out of it. So like that's exactly what we want them to be that level of enthusiasm, not them working overtime. But um, but yeah, no, it's nice to see. So clearly, like you know, they're happy with the way things are now. So that's good. Yeah, I think everyone's fully on board with the decision. We all know it's the right one. So now Q um, with the app is kind of going back to its roots and focusing on content creation. Um, obviously quite a few years have passed since you guys first came up with this idea so why do you think that content curation is still an effective and relevant marketing strategy? I think um, like content curation is always going to be like a core pillar of like everyone's like strategy especially on social media because like I mean it's all about adding value on social right you don't you can't just be like blathering about like useless things like if someone's going to follow you it's for it's for a reason either like you're like consistently funny or consistently sharing stuff that they're interested in or consistently giving them tips that are going to help them or just that someone that you're always there to, to to answer whatever a question is like it's all about consistency and about actually providing something that makes you worthwhile following and the very easiest way to ensure that you're one of those people is by curating quality content every day but the problem obviously is that you know something like that although it seems like a low-hanging fruit you know there's lots of content out there it's very time-consuming to go and find it so like I think this is why initially when we launched Q this was just such a popular thing and it had such a big impact on on the industry because it suddenly allowed everyone to just put this on autopilot and and all of a sudden you've got that core uh, content that value uh, being added and sort of sent out every single day to all the right people so I don't know I mean like I think like that I think that's the main thing is that it's just it's always going to be a valuable um, pillar of, of a strategy completely yeah and for content writers it's a great way of um, researching um, what's popular what people are writing about in your industry I think there's so there's so many things you can you can gather from just content that we, we provide yeah yeah, definitely. So, Dan, this is probably more a question for you, but um, can you walk us through the redesign with the new app? Because I'd kind of love to know, you often come up with these completely different iterations of Q, um, and I'd love to know more about like where you get your inspiration from for those things. Uh, well, because we were going back to the original Q, um, and obviously the original Q was literally you signed in, connected buffer, you chose a categories, and that was it. You couldn't see the content inside Q, basically do nothing else. It was almost like an invisible app that worked for you every day. And I, I think it worked so well because it was so simple. So with that in mind, simplicity, we went back to the design board with some inspiration from existing websites that are already out there. Um, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. Um, we've uh, gone back to the original idea just providing an easy way to get content to your buffer or hotspot and eventually other other integrations and then whilst you're there there's going to be other ways of finding content via rss feeds and eventually shared content collections which will be a sort of social aspect to queue again not taking away the simplicity 
because it's all about content. Now, this is our focus is content rather than having a schedule and recycling and content. It's all about content going forward. So I think with simplicity and content in mind, that's how we got to this new design. Really cool new design. I love it. So another feature of the new queue is that you've reintroduced a free plan. Um, which you had scrapped previously to that. So um, why did you choose to reintroduce that and why do you think it's good for SaaS companies to have a free plan? It, it really does depend on um, the company, I think. Um, for us, the more people we have sharing content, the better it is for Q Promote users. And obviously, two thirds of our revenue come from Q Promote. So it made sense for us to bring back the free plan to get as many people sharing that content as possible. And I think um, having that scheduler changed our opinion of what our pricing should be because of competitors. And again, it just dragged us down the wrong alleyway. I think, yeah, no, I, I would reiterate exactly what you said um, in that first part of your answer about it. You know, for us, it, 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 it does depend on each company on the structure of your app and how it works. For us, it made more sense to make Q more accessible and have more users because the more people sharing content, the better for Q promote. So, I mean, I think, I think that, like, above all, it was just a huge distraction for us, the fact that we'd, we'd started with the scheduler. Uh, because then what we wanted to do was we were like, this, this product now has a lot more sort of strings to its bow, is a lot more valuable, and so we added a higher price point. But then we, we, we quickly realised that actually like the benefit to Q was just making it easy for people and making it accessible. So this year we've lowered the price point and put a free plan in, not just a free trial. So last year we were all about trying to convert people and get everyone onto a paying like monthly or annual plan. Uh, now we just want to make it easy for people to get content and that will then sort of you know boost our major revenue provider which is Q promote the promotional side so but I think like you know should should a company have a, a free plan is like a very difficult one to answer because it really yeah. just depends on the product yeah and we're quite yeah. a unique product in that we do have these two sides to yeah. the app as well yeah yeah and going back to um, the reason why we added or removed the free plan side is not only because of competitors and the fact that we're adding more value, um, but also because of all the paid advertisements we were doing, we weren't seeing a return because most people were signing up at the time for the free plan. So we decided as part of trying to compete, we added, we released, you know, can't speak, we removed the free plan to try to uh, make those ads scalable, but just didn't help. So what's on the roadmap for Q in 2019? Um, well, this initial couple of months is just getting that the vision that Matt and I had in December, which was going back to basics, providing content, providing RSS feeds, providing collections, and then from from that from that point on, actually there isn't any more product goals. Um, so we'll, time will tell, I suppose. We're, we're going to be working like pretty heavily on like integrations and partnerships with other SaaS companies that will basically just work off of our content so like next week we've got like two conference calls with with schedulers um, like Social Bee and Agora Pulse and we're looking at Hootsuite and there's all sorts of like exciting integrations that we can add so uh, it's basically opened up like a whole new world of things that we can do now with Q which is pretty exciting so I guess like a lot of time will 
be we'll, we'll be put into sort of you know integrating with other companies yeah so listeners if you want us to integrate with a social media scheduler get in touch oh my god yes. best. yeah let us know yeah <laughs> so obviously 2018 was a very eventful year to say the least for Q but I think yeah in the marketing world in general there was quite a lot going on you know with these social media automation policies and then GDPR um what do you think is in store in 2019 for like businesses and marketers can you make any predictions hopefully nothing so we can all just (laughs) enjoy uh you know the marketing (laughs) um I know I mean hopefully no more GDPR that would be good gas but what kind of social media or content marketing trends are you excited about yeah it's it's a a tough one isn't it because it it can swing at any point they can Mm. change one thing and it just makes so much difference but I think um, I mean everyone keeps saying video but I don't know we we have been saying video for the past five years, yeah. um, but it is, it is growing. Like it is growing, it is growing. But I think what we've seen more of now are maybe like social videos. So like yeah. people actually repurposing like maybe longer form video content and snipping it for you know each platform. And you know, app, you know there are apps out there to change the video around to make it sort of portrait or landscape and appropriate for whichever platform you wanted to post it to. But a lot of a lot of like adverts and in, in like content marketing and now video because it just stands out on platforms like Instagram. So yeah. well, what I'd like to see, what I'd like to see as a, a new thing this year is more interactivity in blogs. I think it's, we've we've talked about this before, like when we potentially redesigned the Q blog, and that included loads of cool interactive features. And I think that's something I can see. Um, yeah, for this year, it's interactive blogs, much like the Banner Snatch thing on Netflix, where people make decisions as they read, and it sort of changes for you based on your needs. I think that, if we can do that, it'd be really, really clever. Is that like a Black Mirror episode? It's exactly what it is. You know, it's made by Black Mirror. It's called Banner Snatch. You should watch it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I guess that's probably we're going to see more of that in the next like five years or something. But I think going back to what you were saying about video, that's quite an interesting one because we're constantly hearing that that's what you should be doing, but it's still taken ages for people to get good at it. Um, and obviously, it's kind of favoured by social media algorithms, so you might as well have a go at it. But it's actually really hard to get right. But I think one thing I'm noticing is like on Q's Facebook page, which has been really tricky to get engagement on when I think everyone finds that with Facebook marketing. But just like resharing other like video, like funny videos or memes and stuff can be really effective. Yeah, that's true. I think so, like, <laughs> there is so many. I mean, probably if I actually looked at the amount of things that I share, probably about 85% of them are funny memes um, of me resharing. So if you like funny memes, I'm really good at resharing everyone else's creativity <laughs> and not doing anything myself. No, but I, actually before we did this, uh, recording this podcast, um, me and Lucia just talked for about an hour uh, and I were videoing it from about four different angles uh, just for my vlog. But that's exactly what I intend to do with it. You know, be able to repurpose this and use little short clips. Uh, we can use those in blogs. We can use them on like Instagram. We can use them in blogs. We can use them like audio bits for podcast cutaways there's going to be like so much stuff we can repurpose that long form video content for so like me personally i'm going to try and do a lot more of that this year um i think it makes sense but um i'm not sure what like the next trend will be 
but mm. that's what I'm going to be trying to focus on. So. I think, yeah, you're right saying what you share on your own Facebook page. It, it just pays to be a bit more social and maybe spend less time thinking about how you can hack an algorithm. Uh, I, I, can't, I can't be doing with that. I mean, like, I, I tried not using hashtags on Instagram once and it doesn't work. <laughs> um, like, unless you are insanely, like, influential. Um, you, you get about an eighth of the engagement yeah uh, and then if you just well. ram like maximum number of hashtags yeah. into the first comment all of a sudden you've like you know octrupled your yeah. your <laughs> like likes and comments yeah. but like it's i think like the important thing above all isn't really like, the number of likes you get or the number of comments it's it's, it's just like the quality of like what you're putting out there because it's like mainly about like perception like a lot of these like very visual platforms like instagram are mainly about like brand perception and just strengthening that idea of what people perceive your company to be and your yeah. own personal brand so obviously the past year or so has been quite stressful for you guys i imagine how did you deal that with that on a more like personal level and prevent yourselves from getting snowed under and burning out Doctors provide really strong prescription drug now. I'm joking. I think like me and Dan are really lucky because like we've got a very very close like working relationship, haven't we? And we jump on calls basically every morning and talk everything through. It's like talking therapy for business couples, um, and that I think that was basically the secret, just keeping calm and objective and and constantly assessing like where we were at. And if you've got that yeah, sort of I think, control, you're yeah, right. I think we never really believe. I don't think we've ever really believed that it would die. I think we we always knew that we would be able to make a change or do something different to to make it successful again. And I think, yeah, I think because of that, you don't really ever worry. I think it's um, well, I don't anyway. Um, I don't really worry about anything. Well, I'm not, I've never worried about the longevity of Q. I've always known, like, you know, we've got an incredible product and we just need to get the, the platform right. It's just there are, there are times where it's more frustrating, I think, more than, more than worry or anxiety because you know what it can be, but you're at the, you, you can't do everything like that. You know, you can't click your fingers, yeah. it has to be done. It requires development time. It yeah. requires, like, you know, lots of things, all the stars to align sometimes. And you just have to be patient and I think, you know, you want everything straight away it's frustrating yeah 2018 was a very frustrating year mainly because we were making so many different changes here and there and we had to wait for development time you know one to two months before we knew it it was over i think it was literally the fastest year of my life 2018. i agree actually crazy quick it was a blur yeah. and normally like you know it's the opposite when you're not having fun <laughs> yeah crazy and so, Matt, you've mentioned that your one of your more personal goals is to create more blogs this year. What about you, Dan? Have you got any entrepreneurial goals? It's mainly it's mainly getting Q back on track as as an early goal. And I said to Matt because I come up with an idea every five minutes. I've said this year I don't want to. I want to keep yeah. my head focused on Q because it's so easy for my head to sort of go off in different tangents and directions. I can't help it, it just does it inside. Um, and I've just sort of held back so far. I know, what, what's the date now? 23rd. I, I did come up with an idea today, but it was only a fun one. Uh, so we, we won't count that. But I, I haven't come up with any other ideas. And usually I would come up with idea alert in Slack or something and then talk about it and then say, yeah, let's go and do it. And then we'd spend 
five hours doing it or something. I, 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 for my goal this year is to focus mm. purely on Q. It's a, it's a good goal. Like we, we discussed this earlier in the year, and Dan was describing what he just said as a sickness. It's like an illness that he has. He can't stop thinking of business ideas, and then once it's in his head, he's literally like obsessing about like how he can make it like a perfect functioning product that will make money. And like that's just because he is <laughs> such a like a sort of classic serial entrepreneur. But when once you've got responsibility of a company with employees, you just have to rein yourself in sometimes, don't you? Tough. It's, it's so hard to do, yeah. So hard to do. It's tough. Yeah, I think that's a really common trait. Several of the people I've interviewed for the podcast have described themselves as having like ADHD-ish tendencies. Yeah. Like you said, exact phrase because they're always they have that bug. But maybe later in life. Yeah. yeah. What about you for this year? What's your like goals? I'm intrigued now. Um, I think the same kind of sticking to cue. I think we kind of all said this like. Um, just yeah focusing a bit more and I think sometimes I try to do too much with my time like I always feel like pressure to be doing something constructive and like creating things so yeah I'm also just trying to kind of give myself more time to relax um and I think that also like lets your ideas breathe a bit and you don't get too carried away with them it's like creating more headspace I think is a good thing is there anything else you guys want to cover um, I'd like to just announce that Lucia recently got appointed as Chief Marketing Officer of Q. So, congratulations to you. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Lucia. Uh, no, and obviously, I'd like to add that the team have been great this year, despite all the crap. Um, we've all remained positive, we've all remained honest and open to all our questions. So, yeah, thanks to the team. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of Conversations with Q. If you'd like to hear more about the new Q, Dan has just published a post on our blog elaborating on what went wrong for Q in 2018, and I've also published a post on Medium titled How to Stay Sane When Your Startup Pivots both of which I'll include in the show notes. We'll be back to our normal podcast proceedings next week with another fantastic guest lined up. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback, so please do rate, review and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.